Okay, so now I have a question for you. Are you guys not the volunteers? Because this morning, the first service, which is usually the, the last amount of people, was packed. And then I was like, where is everyone? This is like it's the sleeping crew. That's my crew. I come, I'm, a 10, I'm a 1030 guy. That's, that's when we come in. And I came to church this morning at 8 o'clock, and the like, pocket lot was full. I thought revival had broken out. I thought, man, they've like been camping out waiting for me. This is going to be super awkward. And then they told me there was a big volunteer meeting this morning or something. Is that, is that true? So then I thought, well, maybe that's why everyone was here at the first service, because then they just bounced them to get it, get it done. I don't know. It was just, then I thought, well, maybe, well, maybe you guys aren't the volunteer crew. Maybe you need to get plugged into volunteering. I don't know if there's a table out there to do that, but I was going to put a plug in for volunteering. You know, these churches, they don't run by themselves. You've got to volunteer, right? You've got to get plugged in. But this is a, this is a cool church. I love coming to this church. If, if you're new here or first time, second time, or not quite sure if this is the last time, you know, hopefully you'll come back. Uh, I've felt very welcome here. I actually attend uh, Woodridge. That's my kind of home base, if you will. I live five minutes from there, so that's why we go there. Uh, and to, the, to getting into groups, we had, uh, we had the youth at our place. We had a youth alpha meeting last night, and I don't know how many kids were at our place. I just kind of, you know, stayed away from the screaming and the yelling. Uh, but it was cool. I went out to my backyard, so we, we have alpacas, and so they were out kind of messing around with them and our dog, and then they had a campfire going, and then some guy bought out a guitar, which I was really excited because kids still sing. That's, that's good. And, uh, and then they all gathered. There was probably like 40 of them around this campfire, and I kind of just left them up there to do their thing. And every five minutes, I'd just hear this great applaud and cheering and clapping, and I'm like, I don't know what kind of spiritual thing they're doing out there. So I pulled my daughter aside and said, what are, what, are, what are they doing? It's like, it was affirmation day, Dad. And I'm like, well, what was that? And it's like, we went around and we just affirmed people in that group. And, uh, and, and we just clapped. She goes, it was only supposed to be two people, but it ended up being a whole bunch of people just getting affirmed. She goes, you know what I learned from that? I said, what? She goes, I like people I don't even know now. She's like, I didn't even know some of those people. But when they were like telling all these cool affirmations, like, I actually think I like them. I don't even know who they are, but I want to get to know them. And I was like, that was cool. That was in my backyard. That's a small group feel, right? So as we're pushing the small groups, getting plugged in and finding that way. One of the things, I'm a, I'm a therapist by trade. Uh, when we do depression, there's a little free, free counseling here, okay? For, for ladies, when ladies are depressed, when they get depressed, they lose their voice. That's, that's kind of how we see it. it just, they don't maybe disconnect, but they lose their voice. When men get depressed, we disconnect from relationship, right? That's why we go hunting and fishing and do all these things by ourselves, right? Not really. I'm not against those things, but there's just a different way, right? Small groups provide a space for both of those things to occur, right? And if you like, but if I go to small, I'm not feeling great, and I go to small group, they're going to make me talk. Maybe that's the part of going to small group that you need to do to, to find your voice and to, and to hear the voice of God and to connect. And maybe as guys, we're like, oh, God, what are we going to do? Sit around and sing Kumbaya? This is a bit weird, right? It's like, no, what you need to do is you need to learn how to connect with people again. You need to know how to make eye contact. You need to learn how to ask people how they're doing and connection because when we connect with people, we take it home to our families and our relationships. So get into small groups. That was totally free. I didn't say that in the first service, but uh, I was just inspired by Fred's journey to say, get involved in small groups. They're awesome. So, uh, okay, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to stick with my notes here because I always run out of time. Um, 
I am from Australia, if you haven't heard that. I'm going to stop saying that. I get to speak. Pastor Paul said, can you pitch, launch this, this uh, 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 series we're doing um, called Dwell, and it's on Psalm 37, and it's from trying and failing to trusting and receiving. And we're going to be talking about Psalm 37 for the next six weeks. He said, can you kick off this series and then do a couple at the end? So I'm going to be back in a few weeks. So I'll stop telling you I'm from Australia, because hopefully by then you'll figure out that this guy's not from Boston, and he's just got to, he says things a bit weird. You know, I say like America and Australia, and I have a daughter named Olivia. It's like there's no R's on those words, right? So I don't know what I'm speaking anymore, but hopefully you can stick with me here. So, so we're going to be, uh, we're going to jump into uh, Psalm 37. And uh, before we do, let's, uh, let's pray and dedicate this time to the Lord. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. We thank you for uh, friendship, and we thank you for family, and we thank you for this wonderful church. And Lord, I just pray that the words that uh, are spoken this morning, that I would just be your humble servant, and that I would just be your mouthpiece, and that the words that are shared today would just land on good soil. And maybe it's not all of the words, but maybe one or two words would land on the hearts of the people that are here and change them and challenge them going forward. Lord, give us eyes to see ears to hear, and a heart to receive, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, as, as I was preparing for this uh, sermon, um, we've, we've entitled this, this kickoff one, He Can Do It. And we know that Psalm, if you know Psalm 37, it's one of those little Bible verses you, you learn. Uh, the one is, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that's about all we know in Psalm 37. It's actually 40 verses long. And this morning we're going to read, get ready, we're going to read all 40 of them. I know you can do it. You can handle it, right? Back in the olden days, we didn't have these things. We didn't have these things, right? You actually came to church and, and you would just listen and you would hear the word of God spoken. And there's something rich about that. And, and over the next few weeks, we're not going to spend a lot of time reading the whole psalm. But I think it's really important as we read the word of God to read it in its context. And so those first verses, you know, one through six, belong to a much bigger story and a much bigger psalm uh, of, of 40 verses. We're going to read that, and we're going to be talking about in this psalm, uh, as we begin, that we serve a God who can do it. And as I was thinking about he can do it, it actually reminded me of uh, this famous picture. We'll throw this picture up here, uh, called We Can Do It. Remember, have you seen this? You all seen this? This is this picture was was uh, painted by an artist, uh, J. Howard Miller, and it was for the Westinghouse Electric Company in World War II, and it was a call to to. Uh, encourage women to continue the fight. Now, it wasn't like to get women to sign up. They were actually already working in the, in the uh, factories, but it was this idea of like, we got to keep going. We got to keep doing this. We can do this. We can, can win this war if everyone's kind of chipping in, right? And, and I feel like this has become a, a pretty iconic kind of picture, you know, rolling up your sleeves, tying back your hair, this like face of resolve, right? This kind of, I think, in, encompasses kind of the, you know, a little bit, the American and Australian spirit, right? And yet the Psalm 37 is really framing this eye of, I can do it. God's saying, I, I, I can do this, right? And you, and you need to let me be the father that I am. Because the we can do it idea started in the Garden of Eden, right? There was a we could do it movement right there. And it's gone all through the Bible of we can do it, we can do it, right? And it even shows up at our breakfast table, right? When we're anxious, 
or we're not sure what we're supposed to do, or what the day holds, or if I can keep doing this job, or who am I supposed to marry, or who am I supposed to be friends with, or what's going to happen at school today, and it always comes down to, don't worry, you can do it, we can do it, we can do it. But what God is really wanting us to reflect on as we look at this series, to get the desires of our heart, we need to step back and really put God in his rightful place. Because this is a psalm about he can do it. We are kind of pushing this this big idea, I guess, that God wants to bless and meet our needs, but it's because he will do it in his timing and his strength, not ours. I love the song we sing, this is how I fight my battles, right? I stopped with the worship team when they were practicing and said, you, got to, you guys got to really focus on the idea of where this kind of song comes from when, when Elisha and his servant is like, we're about to die. And then Elisha prays this prayer and he says, open the eyes of the servant and he sees these chariots surrounding this army, right? And, you know, I picture Elisha just kneeling there on the ground like, we're not going to do anything here. Can you just show him, Lord, who you are? It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, right? This is what we sing. And so in a few moments, I know it's a huge time commitment to read 40 verses. We're going we're gonna to jump into these 40 verses. And then I'm going to give you seven takeaways from these verses. But before we do that, I just want to give you a, a quick biblical literacy thing on the Psalms. If you're not familiar with the Word of God, get into it. And, uh, but someone's like, I, I don't know, I'm new to this. So the Psalms is, is just a term we give to uh, words that have been put to music or instrumental music. And these is, there's 150 of them. And, uh, and, and I like to think of this as like the top 40, right? So you're, well, some of us remember Casey Kasem's top 40, right? And welcome the Lord. Nah, 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 nah. What's coming to you? Moving up the charts, you know, to Psalm number 16 this week. You know, David's latest hits, right? That, well, there's 150 of them, so this is like the 150 hits of, of the Israelites. And they're not all written in a nice chronological order. If you read them, they're all kind of mixed in together. And, and they're, not, they're, all, they're written, some are hymns of praise, and some are, are songs of lament, and some are, are ceremonial songs. And, and we always re- kind of refer to the Psalms being written by David. He's the most prolific author in the Psalm. He wrote 75. If you do the math, that's half of them were written by David. So then you'd say, who wrote the Psalms, everyone says? David, but there's only half of what was in there. But did you know that Moses has got a song? He's got a song in there, right? It's like those guys, the one-hit wonders, right? It's like that guy, Moses. I didn't know he was in there, right? I love going on road trips, and you find in case he shows up. It's like 1987. I'm like, oh, what's, what's at number 16 back then, right? Moses has one. Jeremiah has some in there. Uh, Ezekiel's got stuff in there. Yeah, these are books of the Bible. You didn't know they were in the Psalms. They're authors. And then there's the sons of Korah and uh, Asaph, these, these different people that wrote the Psalms. And they put them in there, and these Psalms are then used as a way of showing and pointing us to who God is. And they were sung by the Israelites and talked about their story. But Psalm 37, and this is the kind of a really uh, a ground piece that I want you to take away as we think about this psalm, is actually said by commentators to be a hushing psalm. A hushing psalm. Because when we read this, it's going to say, fret not, fret not, fret not, fret not, right? There's another name for worry. Because all these people are gaining all this stuff. All of the bad guys are getting stuff, and it's not fair, and I don't get anything, and what am I going to do? And they're going to get me, and I'm going to die. And God's saying, shh, it's okay. I got this. 
And when, when I was um, a new father, I have two kids, they're now 16 and 14, but when they were little, my oldest had a strong relationship with crying. You might have had a child like that in your time. And uh, I used to have a bedroll. In Australia, we'd call it a swag, right? That's not the way you walk. It was swag was your bedroll. I have it in the cupboard, and so then when she would cry, I would roll it out on the floor because your first child you raised right. Your second kids are kind of left to their own demise because I was never going to let my child sleep in my bed longer than I needed them to, right? It's like, no, and then my second child just kicked me out of the bed, right? So but the first one, I was going to sleep on the floor, and I would lay on the floor, and I would try not to open my eyes too much so you didn't lose sleep, and you'd kind of breathe like, shh, shh, you just breathe so you could kind of keep sleeping and still hush, and sometimes I would pick up my child, and I would hold her in the nursery, and she'd be crying, and I would sing to her, and one of my favorite songs to sing was, you dance over me while I am unaware. You sing all around, but you never hear a sound. Lord, I'm amazed. You know that song? The old one. And I would sing that because when I was holding my child, I realized this is a little bit what God does for me when I'm super anxious and upset. I felt like that was the moment I knew what it meant to dance over me and to sing over me. My child didn't know the words I was singing, but they knew that as long as Dad had me, I'd be okay. It's a hushing, right? Psalm 37 is a hushing psalm. And I want to read it to you. Now we'll have it up on the screen. So here we go. Bear with me. You got this. 40 verses. We can do it. Here we go. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness and the light and your justice as the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, and it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be cut off and be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. For he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword behind their bows, and they bring down the poor and the needy to slay those whose way is upright. The sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is a little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous." The Lord knows the day of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked bar borrows but does not pay back, and the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man... 
are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have seen the righteous, I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Verse 27. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart, and his steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him in his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his ways. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen the wicked and ruthless man spreading himself like green laurel laurel tree, but he passed away and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. So what's God's job? We're going to list seven things out. Now, if you're not a note taker, you might want to be a note taker today. I always like taking notes in, in church. I go back and forth. I like to take notes because I make it, it feels more participatory when I'm taking notes in church, right? And you're like, well, I'm never going to read those again. It doesn't matter. Writing them down helps your brain and your hand and your ears all kind of work together. I actually think, you know, in, in, as, we, as our kids are all typing away, did you realize that when you type, all the letters are squares, right? But when you used to write, you actually would have to think in your brain, like, well, an A looks like this and an L looks like this. And your brain was working a very different way when you wrote things down. And so I always encourage people, if you're not a note-taker, become a note-taker. It's a great way to make church more interactive. But I'm going to give you seven, seven things from this, uh, from this scripture from our, uh, as we set out to, to look at Psalm 37. And here they are. Number one, don't worry he will give. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We are serving a God that from the very beginning of time has desired to give us the desires of our heart. In Genesis 2, we read the story about Adam when he created uh, everything and he had Adam try to find a suitable helper and he couldn't find anything. Well, little jokes, that's the only thing that God created that wasn't good. It was dudes. Right? You remember that? And he created man. And he said, well, that's not good. <laughs> I will make for him an Aza Conegdo, a help meet. Right? And he goes, and I know, I know what you're thinking. I know what you want. I know the desires of your heart. Voila. And he's like, and that's when Adam said, and he saw that it was good. Right? And that was the desire, right? This is a suitable helper. God knows what we need in relationship. He knows what we want, and he can provide for us. Even when sin came in and separated us from God, we were then given a Savior through Jesus to restore that relationship. 
When we read about Abraham and, and we read about him taking Isaac to sacrifice Isaac on this obedience to God, asking him to do something, and then God provides a ram in the thicket. And that's where Abraham calls God Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah was, was the name that was given for, for Yahweh, a name that actually wasn't spoken uh, by the Hebrews or the Israelites because it was too sacred. If you ever see in your Bible, Lord, that's all capitalized, that means Yahweh. That's what that means. That's, that's how we, we denote it in your Bible, in your scriptures. But Jehovah was, was God's way of saying, I am. I am who provides. And so he was Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, who will give us the desires of our heart. And when you are in sync with your father, when you delight in him, you will see him giving you the desires of your heart all the time. Number two, don't worry. Do not fret. He will act. Verse 5, commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. If you're a writer in your Bible like I am, circle these. He will act. He will give. Not only God's name is Jehovah Jireh, but another name that we give to God in, in, in the Old Testament is Jehovah Sabaoth, which is given 270 times. And Jehovah Sabaoth was the Lord of hosts, the one who would go before, the one who would conquer and we first hear this when, when Hannah, who we find this, this story in 1 Samuel 1.3, Hannah, who is barren, is crying out to the Lord for a child, and she cries out to Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord who can go before, who can fight the battle. Isaiah specifically identifies the Lord of hosts as our Redeemer in Isaiah 47, verse 4. Jesus is our Redeemer. He is Jehovah Sabaoth. Your father is one who is active. He's moving in your life and for your benefit because he loves you. Robert Lewis wrote a book called Raising the Modern Day Knight. And he, he wrote down what a real man is, you know, to, to his definition. I really like his definition if you've read the book. But a real man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects the greater reward that is found in Christ Jesus. And I love this because as I try to model my life after my Father God, this idea of rejecting passivity is very much who God is. He is not a passive God. He's a Father that acts on our behalf. Your Father in heaven moves and rejects passivity because he wants to give you so many things as his kids. But sometimes, just like our earthly kids, or if you're a kid in here today, it's not quick enough, right? It's not on our timing. Number three, don't worry, don't fret. He will bring forth, verse six, he brings forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. He's acting on your behalf to bring out the best in us. It's the truth. If we lock eyes with him and listen to his calming voice, he will bring back, he will give back, he will bring forth the good things that he knows we need. He will restore justice. He will right the wrong. Number four, don't fret, he will not forsake. Verse 28, for the Lord loves justice, and he will not forsake his saints or his chosen. If we are believers in Christ, if we have accepted Jesus into our heart as our Lord and Savior, if we are adopted into the family of God, we are his chosen, we are his kids. But that doesn't change the fact that as kids we sometimes feel left or abandoned. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it's fairly common. When I was a child and I would get in trouble, my parents didn't 
their punishment for me was simply to send me to my room. But I had to close the door. That was a part of the discipline, right? And I hated that. I hated not being in a relationship. But I had to close the door, and I would sit at the door, and then I would kick on the bottom of the door like this. Doom, 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 doom. And then I'd wait, right? Because what I was saying is like, don't leave me in here. Don't leave me in here, right? And then my mom would yell out, you know, in a nice Australian accent, Todd, if you don't stop kicking that door, I'm not coming down to see you. She sounds like the queen. <laughs> and, um, but I'd get, no, yeah, but you're not going to remember I'm here. You're going to get too busy. And then I'm just going to be stuck down here by myself, right? And I'd feel abandoned. But it was for my benefit because I needed to be disciplined in that case. But feeling abandoned or feeling forgotten is not uncommon. Even Jesus said, why have you forsaken me in his moment of, of just sheer uh, loss on the cross as he was suffering, right? David felt it. Elijah felt it. Moses felt it. There's so many times in the Bible where we see this idea that this fear that we have of being forsaken. But it says here in verse 28, he will not forsake us. And when he comes to you like a child crying in their crib, gripped with the fear that maybe their parents won't come, he scoops us up. And he says, don't worry. He will exalt us. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his ways, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. He scoops us up, holds us close. Exalt means to put in a high place of privilege, and our Father wants this for us. He can't wait to bring us to a place that brings us fullness of joy, but there's growth and development in the waiting. So that requires being humble. Number six, don't fret, don't worry. He will protect. He is our stronghold. It says in verse 39, salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is the stronghold in the time of trouble. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Another wonderful word. And I love the, the names of God because those are promises that I can hold on to. These are names that I pray when I don't know what to pray. He is Jehovah Aza, the Lord my help. I said in the beginning, when, when God created Eve, she was called the Aza Konegdo, the help meet. He is Jehovah Aza, my strong tower. And Aza was like a shield about me, right? That, that's the Aza. You, you might read about the Ebenezer in 1 Samuel 7, 12, which was a stone that was set up. It was called the stone of help. He's Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, my refuge, or my banner that we read about in Exodus 17, 13. And the psalmist here focuses that your heavenly Father shows him to be a hedge of protection around you. He is the one who would do it because our final truth listed in this psalm of who God is and the role he plays in relationship to us, his children, is number seven. Do not worry. He will deliver. I'm going to ask the worship team to kind of come on back up as we kind of finish up here and think about this last moment here. Don't worry, he will deliver. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Another word for refuge is to take rest, to rest in our heavenly Father, to rest in the arms of our Father who is delighted in us and desires to give us the desires of our heart. 
And he is therefore known as Jehovah Mapalti. I am the one who delivers you. And he does this because his children lean into the fact that he is our help. So of these seven, let me summarize it by saying if we truly lean into the stronghold, the tower that we gather ourselves in our Father who looks and has relationship with us, he gives us a place to run to. He acts on our behalf as he wraps his arms around us. He brings forth our salvation because we are, he is safe to listen. He does not forsake us on the plains of panic or on the flatlands of fret, but rather he exalts us to the tower of protection that we may know as David so clearly penned as our Abba Father is Jehovah Mapalti, our deliverer, the one who delivers. God is not distant. He is close. He cares deeply about each and every person in this room. He understands your desires and he knows you intimately. So trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. He will do it. He has your situation, your concern, your very heartbeat is wrapped up in his loving arms. And as our Abba Father, he's saying, shh, I got you. It's going to be okay. Trust me. I will give you the desires of your heart. Let's stand and worship together.